Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 say this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, thank you, Lord. Lord, that we get to be called. That even though we're sinners, even though we're broken, Lord, that you sent your son for us. And Lord, how we need him. How we need Jesus every day. And Lord, thank you that that he has given so freely. And so, Father, I pray that as we worship, Lord, that, that it is you, it is your love, it is your grace, God, that we are singing praises over, that we are singing praises to. Lord, we, we give you today, we give you this worship, we give you this time as we open up your word. Father, speak to us, grow us, help us, Lord, to see you more. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You know, um, if you haven't had a chance to grab one of the Matthew books that's outside, it gives you a chance to kind of, has a place for sermon notes, a place to kind of dive in kind of throughout the week. It's okay if you want to go grab one right now, but you have to come back, all right, to be able to use those notes. But um, one of the things that's written in the book, we're talking about the calling of Christ, right? Now, put a definition in there. This week it says this, the calling is God's initiating invitation to participate in his redemptive work, right? Are we ready to answer the call of God to enter into his redemptive work for the world, right? That's kind of what it means for us to answer the call. It starts with us answering the call of God to follow him and make him Lord of our, our lives, but it doesn't just end there, right? For example, this this um, Christmas season, we have a chance to do a night in Bethlehem, right? We have a chance to share the gospel message with, um, last year it was around 5,000 people that came through a night in Bethlehem. We need you to be a part of calling that message because last year we told the story of Christ through the Roman soldier. This year we're taking people kind of on a, a walk to Emmaus, right, to share with them what Christ is like. And, and we need people like, we need a John the Baptist, right, somebody with like a gnarly beard and some crazy eyes. Like you, this section has got it covered <laughs> right there, all right. We, we need some, we need some uh, dis, you, people that can just ex, ex, emote Beautiful things to help people understand the beautiful story of Christ and what it means to truly surrender to Christ. That when, when God speaks, it's true. Amen? This is the true story of Christ and the true story of Christmas. So we would love for you to be a part of it because we're going to have a chance to invite people into answering the call. And today we see Matthew, right? He's the author of our gospel, and he's going to tell us his story his testimony about how he found Jesus, how he became a part of the disciples, and how he came to be able to write one of the gospels that are in our word today, the story of Matthew. I don't know, what is your story like? 
If you got to write down your story, like what would be some of the, the highlights? Maybe this is a good question for you on the way home after church, some homework, right? What were the defining events of your life? What were the defining events of your life? I was born on October 4th, 1971. Kind of an important event, okay? Um, but then after that, right, I remember in high school, my sophomore year of high school, I had a friend named David who just wouldn't leave me alone about church. We were on the same basketball team. He would not leave me alone. He kept inviting me and he kept inviting me. Six months he invited me to church before I finally decided to go. And because I went, the Lord opened my eyes. I got a chance to experience him and I've never turned back. No turning back, right? So do you have friends in your life? Do you have people in your life to where you have an opportunity to share and experience the love of Christ with them? We're going to talk about Matthew's call today, and he's going to give us a little bit of his story. Let's pick up in verse 9. So as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, right? So remember, where does Jesus come from? The paralytic just got lowered down. The roof ripped off, right? Paralytic comes down, your sins are forgiven. Oh, so that you'll know that I have the power to forgive sins, get up and walk, boop, walked off, right? Whoa, here comes Jesus, right? He's just doing an amazing thing. He's walking back in and he's walking by Matthew sitting at a tax booth. Matthew is a tax collector, do you have friends that are tax collectors? Do you like them? I mean, I'm just thinking, when you hear taxes, right, that is not like, woo, you do not get a crowd to cheer when you say the word taxes, right? Because, and imagine that you had a country that had conquered you, and now we're pulling on taxes. But it gets even worse than that, because Matthew, as a tax collector, what that meant was that he and his friends had put in a bid to Rome to be able to have the rights to tax the region. So they sent in a bid. People would send in different bids, and Matthew's crew, they won the bid. So they said, we're going to pay you this many denarii to be able to have the rights over Capernaum to collect taxes, right? And now they've won the bid. So not only are they going to collect the taxes for Rome from you, but they're not going to lose money on the deal, are they? They're going to take extra money off the top in order to provide for this bid. And not only that, but they're going to pull extra money off the top to furnish their houses, to live this lavish lifestyle. These were the tax collectors hated by the people. In fact, we know they were hated. Here, here's some examples. We already read some of them in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember where Jesus was encouraging us to love even our enemies, right? Don't just love those who love you. Don't even the tax collectors do that. He's using tax collectors like, listen, even the tax collectors do that. He's using them as examples, almost synonymous with this word sinner, that we're going to see in here. Those that are devoted to sin. Here we go. The tax collectors and sinners. And yet Jesus sees him at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. You know, Luke, when he's telling this story, he says, and he left everything and followed him. So here's Matthew. Normal day at work. Jesus walks by. says, Matthew. Follow me, and he leaves it all behind, and he comes 
to follow Jesus. Matthew actually loves this word all the way throughout the book of Matthew. I think 25 different times we're going to see this word follow, right? Meaning follow me, right? Like if we were to play follow the leader, right? And I was like, okay, everybody put your hand up, do this right. We would do all these things together. That means that you were looking at someone and mimicking and doing the things that they did, right? What is Jesus inviting Matthew to do? He's inviting him to be one of his disciples. Invite him to be a part of his life. What does it mean for Jesus to invite us to become one of his disciples? Well, if we look back and we look at what this culture was like, right? If you were a kid in the culture of a Jewish child, you would have started your school off as soon as you could learning the Torah, learning the law. You would have been writing verses out of the book of Exodus or the book of Deuteronomy. You would have been memorizing those books, and then you would have gone to school. And in your local synagogue, you would have had like a local rabbi that would have started teaching you about the law, how the law fit together, and what it meant to have the law. And you would be studying that away from the synagogue as well, because when you got to that age, you would have the opportunity to seek out a rabbi and say, oh, I want to follow this rabbi. And you would go and you would ask this rabbi, can I follow you? Can I be one of your Talmudin is the Hebrew word. Can I be one of your Talmudin? Can I be one of the pupils, the learners, the disciples of you? And that rabbi would sit back and would say, well, tell me every time the word dove is mentioned in the Old Testament. And you would spout off the answers as the best you could. So tell me what Moses meant by and then you would have to tell them and explain them. And if that rabbi saw potential in you, if that rabbi saw that you would have an opportunity to be like him, he would invite you say, yes, you can follow me. And you would leave your home and you would follow the rabbi everywhere that he went, listening, observing, wanting to be like that rabbi. You see, discipleship is not just, and we meet once a week and talk about the Bible. It's a lifestyle. It's meant to be something that we begin to make mimic. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, we kind of see a sort of definition of what that might look like. It's Luke 6 verse 40, right? And it tells us that as a disciple, right, you're not above your teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And in fact, um, Philippians 3 says it this way. I think it gives a good description of it as well. It said, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. That becoming a disciple means that you're going to imitate the rabbi. Meaning that if you're a disciple, your goal is to be like, to act like, to think like, to have the mannerisms of the rabbi. To be like him. Is that how you think of discipleship? That you're going to create smaller versions of yourself. Right? But look what it says in verse 18 because it gives us a sober warning. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is what Paul was mentioning earlier. Are your minds set on the things of God or are we set on earthly things where the concerns and the anxieties begin to tear us apart? Or are we willing to say, no, I want to be a disciple. I want to follow after the rabbi. 
So question, what does it mean when it says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ? What does that mean for us as believers in Christ? Are we ready to go on a journey of inviting people to be a part of this walk of discipleship, all right? Because a discipleship is someone who is like the rabbi. And this isn't this our goal as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that we are to be more and more like Jesus, right? This is our goal, to be like Jesus. In fact, um, there's an author that I really enjoy listening to named Ray Vanderland, right? He's a Messianic Jew, right? He grew up um, as a Jew, but then found Jesus, gave his life to Christ, and, and he would talk about what it meant to really follow after the rabbi. And he said one of the reasons that the Jewish nation struggles with Christianity is that it doesn't see those that follow Christ really following Jesus like he's a rabbi. In other words, if you wanted to follow Jesus, how could you not be reading the Gospels every day to know how Jesus acted, and then I'm supposed to act the same way? Oh, this is what Jesus said. I need to be speaking the same way. He said, this is confusing to the Jewish nation. They don't understand why. Why would you not, if you want to follow the rabbi, not be reading everything you could about him so that you can be like the rabbi? Well, we need to invite that same process here. Are we inviting people to follow us as we follow Jesus? Are we willing to be that example? Well, where does that begin? Where does this walk with Jesus begin? Well, I think it first off begins in your home. If you want to be truly a, a person that does discipleship, it has to start in your own household. Right? And so I'm going to ask you a question. I wrote down this question um, as that. Would you be happy if your kids turned out just like you? Would you think about that question in your mind? Would you be happy if your kids turned out just like you? If you said yes, awesome. Make sure that you let them run the same pace that you ran through life. Because I don't know about you, but when I was in college, I wasn't quite the same person that I am today. Right? When, when, I, when, I, when I was in my 30s, my 40s, I'm now in my 50s, I know, sorry. Um, when, man, as you keep growing, man, we keep growing in Christ day by day and moment by moment. Are you willing to let your kids grow into that work? If not, if you're like, no, I don't really want my kids to be like me. I want them to be better than me. Let me encourage you. Start following Jesus. How can they? You don't want your kids to surpass you you got to set the stage. you got to be the one that leads the way in that. This is what discipleship means, right? And so for me, as a, as a godly man in my home, I have my first responsibility as a man is to my wife, right? I have an amazing wife. Her name is Tara. Here's a picture of us 30 years ago, right? Aren't we so cute? No gray hair, right? And you might be thinking, oh, is that a selfie stick? There, there was no such thing as a selfie stick back then. That is a golf putter okay, that I tried to hit the, the button on the camera, right, and I, and I succeeded, and remember back then, you didn't know for sure if you succeeded, you're just like, hope that looks good, take it into the place, they print out the pictures for you, there was no such thing as digital back then, right, just that's a, this is a, I took a picture of this picture on the wall, right, but here's us more recently, right, with, with this little sign, right, saying, I love you, right? I don't know if you know what this means, but sign language for I love you, right? And it's something I do all the time, especially with the youth, right? I'm going to come up to give them a high five. It's like, hey, high five. They've learned how to high five me with my awkward little I love you thing, right? But it's a reminder, right, Daniel? Love you, buddy, all right? They, they, they know, and that this genuinely their idea that, man, I want them to know that I love them, 
this thing. But I love my wife more than anybody. Sorry. Let's be honest, okay? Right? My job as a godly man is to start with discipleship with my wife. This is what Ephesians 5 talks about. It says that husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, washing her by the regeneration of water by the word. Like my job as a husband is to make sure that my wife knows who Jesus is and knows the beauty of the scripture. That's my role as a husband. Discipleship has to start there. And it's amazing, right? My wife is going through the Bible recap, and so she's like, every week we're talking about, oh, I read this in Bible Recap. What does that mean? Oh, let me talk about it. We get to jump in that together. But listen, if my wife starts running fast and studying the Bible, I've got to run faster, right? I've got to stay ahead. I've got to know the word. I've got to look those things up. That's my, my role as being her husband is to be like Christ to her, to give up my own desires, my own dreams in order to be a servant leader for her. That's where it starts. And guys, listen, how I treat my wife, my kids watch. This is so convicting for me because I gave my daughter away in marriage earlier this summer. And I was thinking, would I want my daughter to treat David the same way that Tara treats me? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing how the Lord has blessed me with such an incredible wife. I'm married way up, okay? I know that. Um, But that example that you set with your husband and wife is going to go down, and your kids are going to understand it, and they're going to see it. Because remember, they're listening and they're observing. This is discipleship. So not only am I responsible for loving my wife well, but I'm responsible for loving my kids well. That as the dad, my job is to set a good example for them, not only in conduct, but also in the word. In fact, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You guys know that I love the Old Testament so much, right? And and Deuteronomy 6 is one of those places we've been at before. Remember, let's view it through this lens. What is our responsibility as disciples? Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. It doesn't just stop there. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That if you want to be a godly parent, you're supposed to teach these things diligently to our children. So what role does the word of God play in our home? Is it up on the walls? Is it something that we discuss and then we talk about? And as your kids grow older, right, my, my baby boy is like 21 now, right? As they grow older, they're going to ask harder and harder questions. So if you haven't spent time in the Word, if you haven't spent time diving into who God wants us to be, we're going to feel left behind. So it's encouraging as a person who does discipleship to run and stay ahead of those that you're discipling. I remember this is how I grew in ministry. When I was at First Baptist Church in Kyle, I had a chance to be um, the youth pastor there. I had no idea what I was doing. I don't know how they hired me, okay? I was just a football coach, and they're like, hey, you want to work with youth? I'm like, sure. There were only four of them at the time, right? But then God started blessing us, and more kids started coming. And I had one group of kids, about 12 senior kids. The Valor Victorian of there was there, and they started asking these questions. I remember sitting in the youth group and going, I, 
Um, let me get back to you on that one, right? And they, had, they were just so smart asking all these questions. I had to just dive in. And by that time, this cool thing called the internet had been invented. And so I got to like search and dive in and, and figure it out on my own. And it caused me to grow so much in my own faith because those that I was trying to disciple were pushing me and pushing me to know more about the scripture. See, this is what's beautiful about discipleship. It's not just about helping someone else be like Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And if you're on that path and they run past you, you better, you better get on, get ready, and get up there in order to be able to lead and be the person that God has called us to be. So the first place discipleship is vital is in our home. Here's the second place discipleship is vital. And I don't know if it was Eric Ream who came up with this phrase or maybe Paul, uh, but this idea of wherever you live, work, and play, look for discipleship. Wherever you live, work, and play, look for opportunities to talk about this love that you have for Jesus Christ. That means where you live, right, in your home, that's our first priority. But where you play, when you're on the soccer fields, right, look around. Are there people there that need the love of Jesus Christ? When you're teaching at school and you look around, is there an opportunity to love people for Jesus Christ? This last Friday, we had a chance to go to Barton Junior High. Jayton and I got a chance to go and, and pass out ice cream and play some games and, and things like that. And it was awesome. We had a great time, right? Passed out. Landon was there. Right? We had a good time balling up, right? And so what we did was we not did that. But what's happening there is that God has given us a door as a church to Barton Junior High to spur on, to encourage people. In fact, they asked Jayton about this idea called the lunch bunch, asking, hey, do you have some people in your church who would want to come over during lunch and mentor junior high students that are there, get involved in their life? And we're like, absolutely. We would love to get over there and have an opportunity to meet. Hey, maybe you want to be a part of that, right? Maybe where we, we live, work, and play, right across the street from us is an opportunity to pour into the lives of hundreds of kids. Of course we want to get involved in the lunch bunch. We want to come talk to kids, mentor them, and share with them the love of Jesus Christ that is available for them, right? Maybe in a covert way, right? Is that, are you allowed to do that? Can you be covert with Jesus? Yes, okay. All right, good. All right, we're going to go a chance to tell the gospel to them. So when, where you work, your coworkers, are you ready to share with them about Jesus Christ? Right? That's the challenge that is there for us. Let's go back to Matthew. Because what's interesting here is Jesus' reaction. He calls them to follow him. Right? Matthew, come follow me. And where do they end up next? Okay, look what it says in verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold... Many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Woo! Scandalous. Can you imagine? Jesus the rabbi is now having lunch with all the tax collectors. They're all, here's Jesus reclining at the table. He's, hanging, he's willing to go life on life with Matthew. Matthew has a unique audience of friends, doesn't he? Hey, let's have dinner. Why don't you invite some of your friends? Woo! Here's Jesus, right in the midst of everybody. Are you ready to live life on life with other people? This is the example of Jesus, right? We're supposed to follow Jesus. Are you ready to step into even the messy situations and live life on life with others? Now listen, Jesus doesn't come in and do the same things that they do, does he? 
In fact, it talks about how bad company corrupts good morals, right? That's what it talks about in 1 Corinthians 15.33. So he's not going in to do the things they do, but he's going in to be a light in the darkness. What if you had an opportunity to step into the messy life of those who need the hope of Jesus? Would you be willing to? Because i got to warn you, if you step into living life on life, you will be judged. People out there are going to judge you for stepping into life-on-life relationships with people who don't know Jesus. In fact, look what they do to Jesus here in verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors and sinners, right? They just go synonymous. Do you remember what they think of tax collectors and sinners? Do you remember that prayer? Right? Where the sinner is just like, Lord, forgive me, and beating his chest. And yet the, over here, the Pharisee is like, Lord, thank you, thanks that I'm not like that guy. Right? That was his prayer. They viewed him so low as a traitor. And here Jesus is eating with them. And the Pharisees are they're just traumatized by what's going on here. Right? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. He's telling the Pharisees, who thought they knew everything, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's Jesus' word to them. Go look at what this means. And he quotes a verse out of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. So he quotes this verse from the prophet Hosea. Do you remember who Hosea was? A prophet of God. And God asked Hosea to go marry Gomer, a prostitute. And Hosea was supposed to be this picture of God, right? a God who loved even those who weren't faithful to him. And Gomer was supposed to represent the people of God who constantly leave God's presence, leave the love of God to cheat with the sin of the world that is all around them. And yet, Hosea was faithful. He kept loving her. He kept pursuing her. He even had to buy her back at one point, pay a ransom to get her back, just like Jesus Christ paid a ransom for us. We have been bought with a price. God loves us so much that he was willing to go to the cross for us. Even when we cheat and look at different things that we shouldn't be looking at, God was faithful. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Are we willing to be the hands and feet of God even when it gets messy? Like, for example, this last um, Monday, I got a chance to help my wife. She works at Chick-fil-A, does some marketing stuff. So we had a paint the pumpkin night, okay? So it was paint the pumpkin. It was chaos, pure chaos, right? People wanted nuggets and pumpkins, okay? And so they're like, okay, I'm going to help her, Okay. So I'm like, oh, help, babe. Let me jump over there. So I grab You might notice I have a yellow, like, splotch of paint on my jeans because I'm like, I'm going to help. I grab the yellow paint, put it in a little thing, put it back on the table, missed the table, dropped the paint, exploded, right, on me, on the guests, on the floor, everywhere. It was messy. If you're anywhere in a five-foot radius, you got yellow paint on you. That doesn't come out of your jeans. doesn't come out of your clothing, right? Oh, it was messy. And that's what happens to us. If you step into the broken, right, those that struggle with addiction, 
It's going to get messy. You struggle with those trying to overcome this addiction of pornography. It gets messy. Those overcoming the trauma of their, of their childhood, it gets messy. It gets difficult. Are you willing as a disciple of Jesus to be like Jesus and step into those dark places for the hope of bringing the light and the salvation of God? Why would Jesus have dinner with Matthew and the tax collector friends? Because he's the light of the world. And he has an opportunity, just as he called Matthew, to call others to himself. What a beautiful picture of this example that he wants us to follow. In fact, uh, fast forward a little bit to chapter 10, verse 1. Look at, look at this motley crew of disciples that Jesus calls to be his 12 to follow him. Okay, look at this group. It's interesting. And he, Verse 1 of chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And we're going to see those things in action here in a few weeks. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Notice that phrase, his brother. We'll come back to that. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Look at these. The first four we know are fishermen. Remember back in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus walked by the boat and said, hey, leave your nets, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? And he invites them in, right? And then you keep looking down the list, right? You have, who is it? Um, Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot was? Someone who wanted to overthrow Rome, his primary goal in life was to overthrow the rule of Rome so that Israel could be its own sovereign nation again. That, that was his goal, and Jesus invites him to follow him. Judas Iscariot, Jesus invites him to follow him, knowing he's going to betray him? You mean that living life on life with people doesn't always end up with them being more like Jesus? Isn't that encouraging to us? Because when we get into these life-on-life relationships, they don't always end well. It gets messy. It's hard to live life on life, isn't it? If we're honest, it's hard to get involved in people's life. But it's such a beautiful thing. When you're sick and your path group starts bringing meals to you, right? When, when you're having struggles and you have someone to go talk to about it, right? You're having, having struggles with your kids and you have other people in the church who want to pour into you and love on you. Life on life can get messy. Look at this one. James, the son of Alphaeus. You know, there's a lot of controversy about Matthew. Some people would say um, Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, are brothers. Because when you look at the story in Luke, Matthew is nicknamed Levi. That's his like, nickname. Levi, son of Alphaeus. Okay? And so some people would say, oh, well, Matthew and James both had a dad named Alphaeus. They must be brothers. But if you look at Matthew's account... He tells you who the brothers are, and he doesn't name James as his brother, right? Now, maybe he got disowned, but let me give you an example. I, my dad's name is Mike. Anybody have a dad named Mike? Right? Okay. We're not related, are we? Okay. Just making sure, okay? Maybe it sounds similar, but the name of your father doesn't automatically make you blood relation, right? And so most people would say, okay, Matthew and James probably aren't brothers, right? But we see Right? This James and Philip and Bartholomew, we see these men called by Jesus to be his disciples, 
to follow him. And, and God is going to change the world through these men in an incredible way. Are we ready to step in like them, life on life, for the goal of spiritually growing people in Christ Jesus? Are we willing to step into those places? That's a challenge. So I want to encourage you this week. Wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, look around. Open your eyes. Who's around me that I can pour into this week? Who's around me that I could talk about the love of Jesus? Invite them into our life. Invite them into this walk with Jesus Christ so that as I follow Christ, hopefully I can pour off a little bit of that love and affection to them. Okay, that's the encouragement we get from Matthew's call. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Matthew and the call that you have put on Matthew to come and follow me. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be faithful to follow you. And Lord, as we live and as we work and as we play, we'll look around for opportunities, Lord, to pour into the people around us. Lord, help us start in our home. Lord, help us as men and women of God to pour into our children through the gospel. Lord, help us as men to step up and lead well and to be loving husbands just as Christ loved the church. So Lord, I pray for us this week that if we don't know how to do these things, Lord, we'll ask for help. We'll reach out and ask others, Lord, to help us um, be involved in this idea of discipleship. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Well, ladies, you have your mini conference coming up November 10th and 11th. And if you haven't registered for that, uh, you're, you have an opportunity to do that in the foyer area just underneath the path group wall. And if you've been coming for a little time and you want to find out more about Fellowship Church at Plum Creek, you have an opportunity for that next Sunday during the third hour in our Discover class. Lunch is provided, and we have child care for that as well, so you can sign up for that. And you might have gotten an email this past weekend about me and what's, what's going on uh, with Chad's next step. Um, the last couple of years I've enjoyed being on staff here and getting uh, the men's ministry created and that ball rolling and helping get the path groups uh, ministry moving forward. Well, I'm ready to pass that baton off to the next person who can take that to the next level while I go back to the company that I worked at before. But we're not going anywhere. I am still get to help out with men's ministry. By the way, shameless plug, we got our Enchanted Rock camp out coming in a couple of weeks. So guys, if you haven't signed up for that, you need to get on that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and we have our men's skydive day coming up. Yes, we're going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Um, I didn't ask permission to share those things, but I did anyway. Okay. But anyway, if you're interested in this position, come talk to Chris Paul, one of the elders. Come talk to me about it. Love to tell you about it. Uh, but we're looking forward to what God has in store for our church next. So be in prayer for that. But God bless you. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful week.